Welcome to the Indian Silicon Valley podcast. I'm your host Jibraj and on this podcast I speak with founders, investors and domain experts from the Indian Valley trying to understand the art of building a legendary company. In this episode I speak with Krish Subramanian, co-founder and CEO of Chargebee. Chargebee is a subscription billing and revenue management platform valued at 3 and a half billion dollars as of its latest funding round. It is leading the charge of Indian SaaS and building a global giant in the market from India. Started in 2011, Chargebee has come a long way, personifying perseverance and ambition in the best possible manner. I sit with Krish and decode this journey of building a global institution from India. Through an hour-long immersive conversation, we discuss the nuances of what it means to have a product mindset, how to crack US GTM, how to hire effectively and build an impactful culture, and eventually understand the softer aspects of being a founder. Chargebee is India's leading new-made SaaS company, and this episode uncovers much of how that has been made possible. I absolutely loved speaking with Krish, and I am certain that you will enjoy this episode. But before we get started, here is a quick word about our sponsor. This episode of the Indian Silicon Valley podcast is presented by Stride Ventures, which is one of India's leading venture debt funds, becoming synonymous with innovative startup financing in India. Stride Ventures provides comprehensive solutions going beyond venture debt to cater to distinctive challenges faced by high growth and inherently strong businesses backed by leading institutions. The fund has a portfolio of over 60 plus diversified companies having deployed more than 1500 crore rupees to date. In just over 2 years, Stride Ventures has emerged as the preferred venture debt lender in the Indian ecosystem. To know more about this phenomenal fund, visit strideventures.in. That is spelled as S T R I D E V E N P U R E S . I N. And with that, Let's dive in to the 104th episode of the Indian Silicon Valley podcast with Krish of Chargebee. Thank you so much Krish for joining me. Incredibly honored to be hosting you today. Hey, thanks so much for having me for having me here Jivraj. Thank you. Glad to hear that Krish and I must at the very start acknowledge that the Chargebee story is one that that started at such a pivotal moment for India's SaaS ecosystem and it's grown incredibly well and I wouldn't take on much of it but where I want to start is to understand why you started and your journey to become an entrepreneur is one that has a prepared mind what I mean by that is you've often said in the past that you know you've worked for 10 years you saved up some capital and, and you had a sense going into the journey so if you can perhaps give us a precursor to the journey before a starting up charge b and how you looked at entrepreneurship to begin with especially at that time i think that would be a great conversation starter sure happy to so engineer by training studied computer science engineering and happened to meet my co-founder raman rajaraman uh, while in college we were not thick of friends then he used to hang out in another group but we always used to stay in touch we took a number of initiatives in the college and all that that's how we just know each other really well After graduation, I got the opportunity to work in a startup in Bangalore, and Raman had the opportunity. The initial one of the initiatives was to bring uh, at that time Advanet, right, eventually Zoho, to campus for hiring. 
So we actually came to Chennai, tried to scout for companies that would come and hire from our college, and then we somehow convinced them to come there. And then that's how Raman got a break to get into Advanet at that time. Uh, and it was into Tentwork Management Products. So it's very fortunate when you think about um, getting an opportunity to work in product companies, like very early, early on in the career. And my three, co- three other co-founders, KPS, Raman and Tiago, all three of them had the opportunity to work in product companies. And he used to share the journey of what is different about building in a product company. Right? And he used to share this every few months. We used to catch up uh, and he used to share this with a bunch of his friends, classmates, that uh, it's fascinating how small teams are actually like taking up problems and then solving this. And he used to say that, hey, we can also do this. So save up enough. At some point, we'll quit and start. In my parallel journey, I got a taste of startup right from the beginning my first job i had the opportunity to do this uh, i worked closely with the founder and ceo and without the product we actually went and pitched i didn't he he actually understood a problem really well and then he pitched a solution and then we went back to the drawing board to go build it right? it was just three people built it and then shipped it in four months and uh, it's in a government company right at that time i think e-governance was a buzzword and we got a taste of that right so imagine in the very early stage of your career you actually understand that the skills and that you acquired and that you just know how to write code to solve some problem, but somebody actually is talking about real-world problems and then helping you connect the dots between the code you can write and the money that can be made by actually solving somebody's problem. And we got hooked to these ideas. And then I think I think you just learn by observing some of these, right, and all of that. So it was an inspiration when Raman said, hey, we will start up at some point. I took it very seriously. So we over eight, nine-year period after that, we saved up every... We just followed a frugal life and then we just had this plan that at some point we'll quit and start and we have to save. So we had the financial independence to start. And he even wrote a memo in 2005 to make it more serious for all of us saying, okay, here is how much you need to save every month, right? And here are the instruments to deploy this, like how much to put in PF, how much to put in mutual funds, systematic investment plans. So over several years, you will acquire enough that you will have built a nest egg to give yourself a chance to do something. So by the time we were actually ready to start by 2010, so is this idea was just fermenting in the head and then uh, at some point we start but we just did not put a time frame of pressure on ourselves to say like by this age we have to do it or anything like that it's just that by 2010 we could see that our friends at Freshworks had started we felt like the timing was beautiful because i think in 2000 from 2003 2006 you may have tracked the 37 signal face cam guys they used to write signal versus noise blog which was phenomenal right and by 2008 or 2009 they were they had released the, the rework book Ruby on Rails was picking up, and we were also exploring a little bit of Python Django. So all side projects just to dabble with technology, right, as engineers. But you also read about the journey of actually building companies through the lens of somebody like the Basecamp or a, a Joel Spolsky used to write Joel on software.com blog. Just reading from outside was a habit, right? So if, if I have to attribute like why we started eventually, I would say one is continuously reading from outside, whether it's fiction, non-fiction, or biographies, just reading from outside and taking inspiration from outside was something that was just a habit that just inspires you to want to do something in future. And then some good habits and saving and having a frugal life. I did not buy a car till my first kid was born. Or just the month when the kid was born was when we actually bought the bike, bought a car right? till that time. It's just a deliberately being frugal. It's not a it's not a lifestyle adjustment to make yourself miserable. It's just a you, you don't expand too fast, your needs too fast, then it feels very natural that you are able to save up enough for financial independence to be able to try that. It just happened because of the way you are. I credit a lot to Raman seeding this idea and saying, oh, we should start up and then do this, this, this. A lot to him uh, that we eventually said we will start up and we did not even have to worry about a lot of other things, which is we had acquired enough skills to fall back on 
that you could start with confidence knowing that even if this doesn't work out we are employable the second is you know that uh, you have you can give this a shot for 2 3 years without depending on anybody's permission to start a company right or you don't have to raise money to actually try building a company because you have the skills to build a product you can hire and then pay one or two people that's needed to actually get this off the ground so those are all uh, really helpful but today when i actually tell people right i just tell them that one there are two things you can do one is you can either do this kind of long uh, you can take the long cut like us <laughs> or you can also take a shortcut which is join a startup uh, the sh- startup pays you the money but just be restless in learning just be restless because there are a number of companies in which we can get an opportunity like zoho now which is exponential right at that time there was only one zoho and then probably like few other companies all over india uh, but very few handful of them but today it's very everywhere and there is an opportunity to have a different seat from which we can I'll stop here <laughs> that that makes a lot of sense and it's so humbling to know the journey the frugal nature that you uh, mentioned about and how it played out and you always had that not start in mind to start up sometime and it's great that it finally happened when it did i think a very quick follow up there krish is that uh, the other evident part about your starting up journey was a very clear mindset so when you got down to the drawing board it was very clear that you wanted to build a global product and i understand that while examples were there at that point i'm sure there were not too many prominent ones there was one zoho there was a freshworks and everything was only just emerging talk to us about what kindled the spark to you know lead this wave of building products from india for the world and how important was that clarity to start off with uh, if i were to put it that <laughs> i would actually say we we did not really do this as we are giving us so much credit on that part right actually we didn't do this correctly what we did was like everybody else we thought the idea is so important we in fact wrote a seven page document it should be there somewhere i think six or seven page document about this whole urban club idea that we see today i i i should talk to him someday and found a urban club so we wrote this document long back uh, about services right the market for such services how we will solve it but because we come from a b2b background and mostly dealing with customers outside of india all through the life and our life was all revolving around solving b2b problems through software we were so bad at it that we couldn't write the opportunity we actually wrote all the roadblocks in why this will not work the entire document after the beginning of that idea we just couldn't figure out like how will we collect money how will we actually manage this process who will actually like ensure that the quality of service is right and we just couldn't find solutions instead we were only running into roadblocks and then we realized that okay we are very bad at b2c model we should not even touch it we said let's go back to our strength which is we understand b2b business operations well right and uh, so okay let's go solve the problem in that space so when we decided to start a company we just said okay we are not touching b2c so it was actually very good exercise to try and see if we can even build something we to see side and we just fell back on our core strengths which is 10 years of understanding b2b and uh, then it became very easy right we are not so it's not an idea for company it's a team for company so we were very comfortable to just look at like two three problems and said okay hey every market that's going through a shift with software going through the major shift of saas right where the intersection of uh, the cloud services and saas is all coming together in a very interesting way and this adoption is going to happen almost in every one of these disruptions in hindsight i'm just explaining this as if this is how it was very clear but i'm able to understand this better now which is uh, you will see that in any of these disruptions you will see that the large companies are actually able to spend dollars in solving this problem in a custom way then there are some people who come out of those companies and end up creating an enterprise focused solution 
imagine this is zora story right salesforce first time employee saw the problem cloud based billing that's needed then tnn team we uh, came out and then actually started the zora right for enterprise makes absolutely makes sense right and huge credit to them for actually doing observing the problem and solving it but in almost every market what you will see is now that that wave starts happening now in solving a problem through product and enterprise side you will see that there is a huge void in the smb to mid market all the way to emerging enterprises so the playbook you can actually look at is this is unsolved problem for like millions and millions of businesses in the smb world or the smbs will embrace this model later so can i actually productize this build it and solve the problem then you can have your own unique flavor to how you will solve the problem based on your skills strength and your point of view so as somebody who has watched basecamp and others for inspiration and watched zoho we naturally fell back to our strengths which is we love building something with great good api right and we want to have we had a point of view to say this is how good the api should be so we started with the api first product that is focused on smb small customers that wanted to scale and growing with the customers we did not understand some concepts like how you can actually start with smbs and then move up market with them those were not very clear before starting up but once we started growing with the customers it became clear that there is a up there is a thing called the moving up market and this moving up market is not just a function of instead of handling 1000 transactions a month can you handle million transactions it's not just that it's also the growing needs of a larger customer goes beyond just that one vector of scalability of your product in one vector it goes beyond let's say uh, a founder ceo or developer buying your product now there are new personas getting introduced into their organization and they become the primary users and you have to cater to the needs of those new personas who come into that organization so that is actually the what all is up market move so you learn a bunch of other things later uh, and there are a ton of things that we learned along in the journey of building the company but you don't actually have to know all of this it's just my point right so anybody who is aspiring to want to start a company if you have a unique point of view through which you want to look at a problem and there is a white space or a wedge that exists in the market you can get started with this and then you can make the wedge bigger and create your own space later but you just look for that wedge where there is a gap unsolved problem and the need to come out got it no i think duly noted and uh, the wedge point is definitely necessary we'll get to know how the journey evolved and since we're at you know how the first couple of years of charge bee looked like i would love to understand from you how it was like to build a horizontally functional product right uh, as opposed to targeting a vertical solution that would be serving let's say a functional vertical functional team uh, you have a product which is more horizontal in nature and this is something you spoken of in the past if you can maybe elaborate on top of it right uh, given the nitty gritties of what this means uh, i think that would be super helpful for especially young builders listening okay so this very much connects to the wedge in the market point right and this is a mistake i would request people to avoid it's very appealing to think i want to build a product that's so generic that will solve problems for several markets it's very appealing but if you are trying to be everything for everybody you're going to be a nobody so this trap is a thought experiment and then it turns into ideas and then in, into product features that you start building and the danger of actually having the skills to build something is you end up just keep on building without actually pressure testing the ideas i'll give an example right at the beginning we used to think uh, people used to just brainstorm with us to say hey so schools is subscriptions right look at the massive market right everybody has to pay look at the inefficiencies of people actually having to stand in the queue invoices are not available and you cannot track those right so there is just school college subscriptions right college fees is also subscriptions and then 
not just SaaS e-commerce, but almost every industry insurance vertical is a subscription. And even at the early stage company, you would think, okay, now the world is full of businesses that have a recurring revenue nature. And we thought, okay, if we can then build features that are so generic, then you can actually be going after all of these markets. But let's take the example of where it falls flat immediately. You could even get a POC with, let's say, a friend's of your family and then some school who will give you an audience and say, okay, tell me more about it. And they might even validate your idea if they share your worldview that, yes, this is broken, we need, this needs to be fixed. Let's say see, you build a referring solution for a school to collect money. Now, the problem is the moment you actually try and do that, the a solution for school needs to connect with your entire student register, which means that do schools have a standard software they use where you can pull the data very easily? No, in India at least, like schools don't have that. Maybe in a different market, it is actually true. So then suddenly you realize that, okay, that's not true. Now the next step is what happens, right? Are parents comfortable with actually paying online, right? Or like what are some of the behavioral patterns that actually you are basically going to introduce completely new behavior into the system and you have to do that. And you suddenly realize that localization and then different types of software and all of that requires a different type of heavy lift that's needed. It's We are not talking about just collecting recurring money. Suddenly, the underlying problems we are talking about is about like which systems do you need to talk to? How do you get the data? Right? How do you ensure all of this is sanitized right and all of that? And there's not going to be an administrator who's going to log into one system and then for billing, they are not going to do it in another system, which means that systems don't talk to each other. You suddenly realize that you're getting into a, a completely different trap of like problems to solve in every vertical. So trying to say, so unless you solve that, you're not going to get 1,000 schools to use it. So which means that the basic hypothesis is that I can build something horizontal and generic and be ready for e-commerce company and school, right? And also SaaS is actually not true. And you have limited time and resources when it comes to where can you get your next 100 customers, then get to the first 1,000 customers and so on and so forth. So, and you don't want to spread yourself too thin where you have like 10 customers, each one from two different, uh, two of them from different verticals, you won't get to product market. Okay? So it's very important to actually know that it's almost like foolish to chase all of them. So it's again, going back to the wedge idea, like pressure tested to see, can you get the 10 customers and 10 similar customers Right, and then validate your idea, iterate on your product, then get 10, 100 similar customers, similar to the first 10, as much as possible, almost a lot of attributes. Then that 100, take them, find the 50 who are their best customers, and then find your next 1,000 similar to the best 50. That is the best way to actually build a good product company. Otherwise, you end up in services. You will have to do a lot of heavy lifting to solve the problem, last mile problem for every business every customer that you end up having doing a lot of heavy lifting on services and it's too early to actually think i can outsource some of these problems to asi consulting partner development agency and all of that because you are an early stage company there is no viability of the business yet and they don't do it if they don't have see the incentive that they will make more money and your early stage product is not going to work with customers who are having like a lot of money to spend with the agencies so don't fall into the trap of trying to somehow solving the problem. Instead, pressure test the idea that product scales only when you have similar customers and you can, that repeatability and scalability is important. And even if you can get your first 10 customers through friends, network, or like know the people, that the first thing to validate is, can I get 100, first 100 customers? By the time I get to the first 100 customers, can I actually have a repeatable and scalable channel through which I can acquire them? Right? The repeatable, scalable channel can be, are they discovering themselves? 
through your content or like podcast or whatever that is through google adwords online whatever that means right seo acm and all of that then does it have enough depth that you can actually scale this to the point where you can get a lot more customers or not otherwise then you have to still find the channel that will repeatably and scalably work for you now those are the ones to actually solve for rather than trying to take a problem that i want to go have something horizontal because you can make it horizontal in certain lego blocks that you put together the lego blocks like api is a good one a lego block to think about every product and feature in a way that you don't make it too specific to an industry but make it as generic as possible in in capabilities then you assemble the lego blocks for a vertical but your positioning the way you write your even api documentation and the documentation that you write one if you think about early stage company and early stage company's developer as your primary persona then you will actually put in the effort into building that in a particular way and if you think your finance person is going to be your buyer then you have to think of this as a recurring invoicing solution very differently versus thinking of a buyer persona evaluator persona as a developer who will read a documentation you don't expect a finance person to come in and read your documentation to figure out how to put the lego blocks so to solve the problem you can think everything in primitives as lego blocks and build it but have a point of view to say which vertical am i do i want to go deeper into first establish a beachhead before you can actually repackage them into multiple verticals and then take them uh, make it into more and more make it look more horizontal i think we have also made the mistake of trying to even go after one or two verticals that itself stretches your product your ability to think because some vertical like e-commerce would want everything to be configurable in ui even if you build a software integration they would like everything to be in the user interface as a capability versus a, a developer persona who's comfortable with building on top of api you don't have to build all the features as a configurable feature to begin with but you can still do that so there are pros and cons of these approaches but think primitives but don't try to go after multiple verticals is my suggestion got it no i think that that's super helpful because talks a lot about you know not just spending yourself thin and, and also talks about focus so i think that's super helpful and uh, very very valuable for everyone listening but i think the other aspect uh, and you know after talking to a bunch of early stage uh, saas founders the single most uh, common let's say pain point still remains us gtm right when they talk about it and considering that chargebee of course has multiple thousand consumers now on the enterprise side and is successfully scaled across the globe if you had to you know share your learnings in building chargebee especially from a gtm perspective i think that would be super helpful akrish um sure so we spoke about repeatability and scalability of a channel right wherever you can find more customers so i'll uh, i think let's talk about some examples So in the case of Chargebee's example, right, subscription billing could be one of the keywords. Recurring billing, cloud billing could be keywords that people search for. There are very simple tricks to actually find out how much search volume is there. You go to Google AdWords and then estimate the number of searches by region, global country-specific searches. They will tell you how many searches are happening on a daily, monthly basis for that keyword. Then you keep on adding long tail of like either generic keywords like billing. and billing could mean many different things people from medical billing to all kinds of billing could be there but the more narrower like subscription billing could be more specific highly relevant highly relevant to convert or uh, something very generic for called billing anybody could be bidding on that keyword and it may be not be sustainable when it comes to adwords but at least it gives you a sense of what is the volume of search that's available if you think you need 100 customers a month and if there are only 100 searches happening in the world good luck to you <laughs> you're not going to get that many customers using that keyword so which means that now what do you need to do um 
Okay, let's back up a bit here. Right? So this is just one of the tactics. So the, the key becomes understanding, like, where do you really want to sell this product to? Who do you understand really well? Which context do you understand well? For us, very naturally, we, we were able to lean on our experience, product experience, or just the 10 years of experience which is all built around global context of companies that operate in a global context and serving those customers. And we built around it. Thankfully, we did not have to... Uh, we, we knew, okay, what problem we were solving because of the prior experience. If, if you are somebody who is actually completely new, right, and you're thinking of solving a problem, and let's say you have minimal experience, let's say five, three to five years of experience while starting a company, I would say deliberately think about the GTM part in a way that, okay, which market am I going to get these customers? Today, if you are, even if you are building a global SaaS product for, let's say, other SaaS companies, you can get customers like a fresh for, for a charge we or uh, any of them as customers as early stage customers and still be able to take this in a global context take it because we behave very similarly i'm, I'm blocking out a little bit because I'm, I'm trying to understand what is the context that a person who is listening might have for this question on a more elementary basis uh, the idea here is to just on an elementary basis understand that okay once you've identified a problem space considering you're still building from india and you want to grow in the us because your primary persona is sitting in the us how do you establish presence on a global scale i know the world is virtual today but how do you ensure that you know you're zero to one and especially that one to 10 journey is happening in a way that is more natural and organic in nature and does not feel like a second degree problem that you're trying to solve for because while you can take care of product internally you don't want to be dependent externally for gtm so with your i, I think experience it's primarily to, right. to let's say early stage folks got it right yeah i'll focus on what worked for us right so and how we solve it yeah thank you so basic there are a lot of basic things that we definitely need to take care of when we think about a global market starting with something as simple as your terms of service privacy policy these are all uh, and even the spell checking grammar right if you're selling to an audience that's actually in a different context and different part of the world it's very important every little detail you take that very seriously and and uh, solve for those right you cannot afford to have something as silly as let's say spelling mistakes or a terms of service that's not written for a global customer and expect somebody to take you very seriously right that those are so there is the stable stakes absolutely make sure that those are done well including things like what is a phone number they will use to actually reach you when they are visiting your website. They are going to eliminate you. The first step is you have your their two seconds of attention to earn their next 20 seconds of attention, then the next 20 seconds attention to earn the next two minutes before somebody is willing to even explore your product. And that means it's objection handling virtually, right? Where your website becomes your first salesperson. I think so getting that right is absolutely fundamental. Then the next step is how do I get in front of the audience wherever they are hanging out so I can introduce that my website exists. Solving that becomes a different step, right? Which is, it could be hacker news or it could be growth hackers, right? Whatever type of content that comes very naturally to you, right? Whether it's content writing, audio, right? All types of formats, channels in which you can actually reach them or ways in which you can actually do very smart outbound but in the way that you are getting in front of those people also matters, right? I've seen people actually do a lot of just entrepreneur interviews. Let's just say you're building a product for sales as a persona. I've seen people just interviewing all sorts of salespeople and uh, in different companies, they would have a prospect list of either companies, uh, sale, sales leaders that somebody will look up to, right? Other sales leaders will look up to and you can interview all the 
sales leaders, a uh, list of thousands of them, and then get 100 of those interviews done, you are more likely to have built an audience and valuable. And you can make sure that your topics are fine-tuned towards the problem you are trying to solve. So you bubble that up, surface it. Right? The more you are able to get people nodding and agreeing with you when you talk about the problem, the solution that you are building becomes obvious. So I think that is true everywhere. But if you want to sell into US, then deliberately think about like why should somebody who is your buyer persona, right? Let's just imagine VP of sales in companies in one to 10 million journey should be paying attention to you. Then interview all the people in the 50 to 100 million journey. They are likely to look up to them for learning, bring those learnings to them, be useful to them, talk about sort of scaling problems or whatever that you are solving for. Let's say you are solving for sales operational planning and that's the problem you are solving, then you should be interviewing about sales operational planning to interview all the directors of operations, VPs of operations in all these companies and revenue organizations and capture the knowledge. Most likely, you would have built an audience. And once you have the audience, then it becomes very natural to say, right? So inversing the funnel, inverting the funnel and then looking at this and then from bottom up and saying, okay, now this is who I want as a customer, right? And this is the persona, most likely persona. And where do these people hang out or what do they care about? What do they want? And then build your, the rest of your funnel using that. I think it's a useful framework uh, when it comes to building an audience. Got it. Awesome. I think that's uh, super helpful because uh, you talk about detail as well as identifying your persona and channels and then going after them and finding a repeatable playbook for it from what I heard. So I think that's great to know. But um, I think taking a different turn to the conversation and understanding more in terms of, you know, the talent density that Chargebee has propagated as well as culture. I want to focus on talent first and also understand from you how maybe the approach has evolved over time. Because in my research, I heard that, you know, a lot of the early hires were from college and there was a training heavy culture. Uh, But as you scale and as you grow, I, I guess it becomes important, especially in a decentralized global manner now that you have offices in multiple countries, it's important to change that approach or evolve it in some shape or form. So if you can talk about how have you managed a high talent density pool in an evolutionary way, especially as the journey has evolved, uh, I think that would be really helpful, Krish. Sure. Right. And just to make sure it's contextual, right? we are talking to the audience of early stage people who need to build that first 10, 20 people team. See, we all fall back to our strengths, right? Or what we would consider as things that has worked well for us previously. And that's our fallback all the time. So what we did at that time, especially what uh, KPS Raman Kyabu, they were very comfortable with was what has worked really well at Zoho, which is hiring directly from college grads, fresh college grads and training them up was useful. And the constraint with which we are working was we were bootstrapping the company and we had to make sure that we could actually afford the salary that we can pay. But we still wanted to make sure that we were getting the top talent. And when we spoke to any college, right, nobody will give you the first slot <laughs> because they're trying to have that one first one or two people, right, and nobody gives you the first slot. But what we did was we looked for pockets where there was a really good talent in some good colleges but others were not topping into it, right? Every market, right? Just like how you build a product for underserved markets and build your beachhead, it's the same thing when it comes to talent, right? Where is your underserved niche that exists? Like for us, we found that there were two things. One is KPS actually did training. He found a friend who was looking, who was placing people in large companies, but was going taking them through three months of intensive project training. And he would bring in people from product companies or senior engineers to teach them various concepts through a three-month program. And they would do projects and for free in Bangalore. But 
the company eventual model was they would place them directly into colleges and that's how when they would make money a batch of 33 people so what we did was kps volunteered to actually go take class for a day every month and he got first access to the 30 60 people who were the best people and he would spot the best people there and say okay now that's the person i want to hire then we would be willing to pay them little bit more than what that company was paying at scale because we only wanted one or two people and we could pay a little bit more when the company or like a service company was paying let's say 30000 rupees we would pay 50000 rupees to hire that one candidate but we wanted first access to that and the reason we also were confident of hiring and paying that much was we knew who was good because he spent the entire day in the class with those people right and that's how we hired our first few people and then what we did was we also found some very good universities like anna university or a pondicherry university where there were some five year integrated courses where and they were all not hiring those grads but they were going after btech engineers four year course grads but they were ignoring the five year integrated course grads for i don't know whatever reason but they were phenomenal and we could actually get them to work as interns for six months and they had two semesters where they had internship third year and fifth year the third year internship you identify the best people and then bring them in then within six months they actually go back and then finish the rest of the course and then they are back some of them even said can i keep working here and keep my laptop and keep working for you part time and at that time we used to work 6 days a week uh, in office so including saturdays and they would actually hang out with us in the evenings and also on saturdays so there were like batch of 5 6 people who were always <laughs> in the evenings they would actually finish college and come back small office to actually work with us so it was actually fun but i think the point I'm, i want to make is there is always there is a talent for always and but there is always like good talent available the key is where can you tap that where is that underserved need how do you build your own unique advantage where you are able to spot a great talent in your own way right and we cannot expect to say without putting in effort right if you were to just try and do what infosys or oracle did to so just go conduct a half a day test and then somehow guess who may be the best people they are okay with actually getting 8 out of 10 right but we are going to hire one or two people and you have to absolutely get it right which means that we were willing to actually commit and spend more time with those people and make sure we were getting that right i think those are the things you can absolutely do better i remember one conversation one trip with kps and raman where i drove through night all the way from chennai to coimbatore where i was driving for 8 9 hours really saving money so we wanted to we didn't want to fly but while driving kps and raman were in the back seat and just preparing questions and then after finishing questions for 4 5 hours till 1 am or 2 am they mailed it to this like cousin in coimbatore and asked that person to print like 300 of those sets so the next day when we were going to the campus interview we wanted to make sure it was that good that you get the first 20 people who you really want to look at and you don't want something that you just pull off the internet and then be very lazy about it and you don't and you end up having like 50 people who will qualify for it and you don't know how to actually select those people but by putting in the additional effort that's needed you actually get access to something very interesting right so those are some things that we work hopefully there is some lesson here for people to actually cut i think there's a lot of intentionality there and a lot of you know these these smaller hacks that you know you have to go the extra mile to make it happen and i think so it's so it's so refreshing to hear some of these stories to understand how you cracked it then to serve that underserved talent aspect and it's possible if you wanted to make it happen so i mean that that's my underlying uh, lesson there one more trick one more trick related to that right i learned it from somebody else 
which is uh, they used to actually because the colleges never used to give the first access and they would force people not to sit in other interviews after they get placed first so what we used to do was somebody used to hire a hotel in the same city and then like a room for interviews and then would spread the word through the college community that this company is hiring here the first engineer to work closely with the founder ceo cto all of that and then uh, all the people who are placed would can also come for off campus interview he basically optimized for it to make sure that you have 40 50 people lined up but all the pre placed people where your college will not give access but you go and actually get them to interview with you by deliberately doing this right and then we did it uh, for our anniversary and we had like phenomenal good candidates who actually came through and uh, because the college wouldn't allow them to sit in other interviews but we could actually interview them offline by going through uh, direct connect through the students got it very interesting i think uh, yeah i think one of those hacks which uh, you have to figure out in the moment but if it works it, it works like magic so super i think uh, now that we've understood the hiring piece krish uh, i i would love to also understand how you maybe retain them and part of retention comes from you know building a culture that stands out uh, now that charge bee has been built over you know a decade long plus uh, it has multiple thousand employees across geographies can you talk about the deliberate nature in which you've gone about ahead and built culture maybe talk to us about some of the value systems at charge bee and how that has shaped up over time i i think you know a lot of times you know we hear companies have great culture but it's difficult to internalize because we don't know what went behind creating it so if you can talk to us about that aspect i i think it will be super valuable so right i'll start with the confession right so we never had for 7 years of the journey we never had what are our values documented no <laughs> uh, the reason is we felt like who are we to actually tell anybody that these are the most important values right that we, we just had this very cynical approach towards our answer okay now we are going to do that right and so we never actually wrote it down and we eventually came around to actually do it because it's a, uh, there, there was increasing need from people to say to understand do I belong here what celebrated what's frowned upon and all of that so at that point we actually sat down did two day workshop which is crystallized what people like here about us what we don't like in each other and then we it then it became a thing where the first 100 150 people contributed to what should we capture and preserve as like operating principles of the company and i'm deliberately using the word operating principle and not just culture right because culture is very complex right so the operating principle is something you can document like things like customer centricity empathy right and uh, we we say that and then bias or action right so these are some of the values you can actually capture and say what it means what it doesn't mean that those are one ways to right but there are two other things that actually we have now started understanding that goes into defining what is the complex word culture which is the rituals and habits that go and become part of the defining the culture i'll give an example one of the the rituals we used to rigorously follow was transparent reviews every feature that was getting built interestingly even if it is kps who was writing our cto who was writing code or raman by the time had 10 15 years experience right 10 12 years plus experience and could write code no line of code would go to production unless it's reviewed by somebody else even if it is kps he has to review it raman or tyago one of them will have to sign off before it actually goes to production it's a habit right and it's part of the ritual that you actually build the habit part right so this is a ritual and then similarly when it comes to wireframes the designers developer engineering manager product manager everybody used to come together they would actually put it on the screen everybody would actually participate in the critique 
and build on it sometimes you would actually write the text and all of that you basically obsess about all of those features you build the habit it's actually a coaching mechanism for all the people who are watching as to what we are actually criticizing what is it we are being critical of ourselves and why we are saying what we are saying right we even ask some questions like why do you think who do you think will come to this stage right a uh, question i remember asking is somebody would say oh no it's for the developer to actually fix it yes but why do you think a developer will come into this application right in our case a developer is supposed to come in only when things are broken after implementation if everything is going well it's the business user who is supposed to be maintaining this don't expect a developer to come into the invoicing page because it's going to be a business user or somebody in customer success uh, customer support or some other function not this then even the most moment you actually ask a question then it's like right that makes sense right why am i actually putting things thinking about a developer in this particular page this is not the place where this person is going to discover maybe then i have to rethink the design differently right so the ritual of review plays a huge role then there are those everyday habits that every person has to build differently right whether it's a gtm function when it comes to let's say customer support one of the habits you have to build is there is always going to be a lot of transactional work but you have to learn to prioritize right the first thing you do is assess first 15 minutes breathe look at all the tickets that are there in your that you are actually taking over and prioritize your work before you jump in right but the first 15 minutes allows you to not first in first off you have to understand how you have to approach your work and organize yourself before you do it. a customer success person has to be more data driven assessing like which customer do i need to prioritize not based on transactional information but you have to actually analyze and go through it a developer a habit should be how do i ensure i get four hour blocks to work and not get sucked into you may think that you only have like 2 hours of meeting in a day for 30 minute meetings but if those 4 30 minutes meetings are placed in a way that it chops your day into 4 or 5 parts you're done for the day right you won't like if your meeting starts 1 hour into the day there is no way that you will get into the flow knowing that you have to go attend the meeting that's it your first 2 hours or 2 3 hours has gone right before the meeting after the meeting by the time lunch right and then by the time you actually get into the evening then you are how do you teach people that these habits matter and also the managers to also understand that you are not supposed to disturb people right and then everybody has a good intent everybody thinks my work is important i have to serve customers so come in for a meeting a sales person or a pre sales solution engineer anybody can pull people the problem is if you don't build that empathy for everybody about how work gets done why the focus hours are necessary for people to move the needle then people will interrupt each other and then nothing will get done everybody will be busy walking around the room like kids nothing gets done and in a remote world it's even more harder when people have not seen observed people doing focused work to understand the importance of some of this so i think these are like unique challenges that we are now we are all facing but it requires just first principles thinking to think about like the different treatment needed for different types of functions and creating awareness within the organization writing it down and raising the level of awareness within the company to talk about some of this is super helpful because some people would have the training and probably previous experience and may approach a job in a re- particular way but how do you cascade it and make sure you can actually scale that i think this scaling part of the culture is basically comes down to these values the rituals and the habits that go hand in hand together in a way that you can make it scalable as an entire organization you need strong work ethic like what does it mean right you cannot just tell people like people are passionate but they may already also run around the room not knowing how they are actually approaching work sometimes that little bit of help to stay organized is super helpful for new people who are coming out of college into the work work environment 
yeah those are all things that i think deliberately consciously thinking about it and helping each other out in a very empathetic way are good building blocks in being able to build a good team and good company that's just learning from hindsight right I'm not saying this as an advice but some of this i'm able to look back and say okay i wish we had done some of those better but it's just crystallizing uh, when you see more and more of this that all yeah i'm sure i mean i think common thread there is is the brilliance in just being deliberate about the distinction between the operating principle the habits and the other processes and how you can you know think ground up from in the focus on actually ensuring it's if if codified if necessary but you know just the focus is very necessary i think so wonderful hearing that kish thanks for sharing i think this has been fantastic and as we go on to some of the you know concluding portions of uh, the conversation i would love to understand from you as to how um maybe this journey has a uh, shaped you in, in terms of you know the idea here is we often talk about the scale at which companies grow but forget to understand the scale uh, or growth rate at which an individual has grown uh, and to give a perspective to maybe young builders who are thinking of starting up uh, today what does the entrepreneurial journey do to you as an individual i think an insight there from you krish would be uh, wonderful to know Sure. Right. See, nobody. See, everybody wants to build a company. We all start thinking we want to build something large, almost like a big company, right? All of that is there as an ambition. But at the same time, we started saying, hey, if we could build a company, we didn't want the company to be bigger than thirty people, small company, small team, right? And that's what we wanted to build. Right? There is no nothing bad about actually building something beautiful like that, right? And of course, it should be celebrated as well. And that's how we thought about it. But the journey took us in a very different direction. So being very comfortable with being wrong about some of those and not making them too sacrosanct, I think is important. Letting go of those ideas and allowing yourself to change those ideas based on all that input, I think is one of the most important things to learn as an individual to be able to scale. Because if we had been to the danger of homogeneity, is it closes all the other doors. So the moment you actually have like different opinion, different information that's coming in. right and uh, allowing yourself to also change your opinion is also important and not saying i will only push up i will only uh, raise capital right or like as if either one is great and the other one is bad is also not true uh, the same thing applies to scaling company the same thing applies to also thinking about like how do you want to build a team initially you work within your constraints to say hey i can i get to hire in india because i'm based in india but i'm building a company that seeks to develop a company serving global customers and there is a point when i actually met germain uh, brian our first vp of sales this was 5 6 years into the 5 years into the journey he was the founder of a company in france and he was trying to look for like what next like i could see that he was like me and i wanted him to lead sales because i was comfortable letting go So the key is, I think, if uh, if there is one blog I would read, uh, request people to read. It's actually give away your Lego blocks in first round, uh, first round or open view. One of those blogs it has that give away your Lego blocks. Phenomenal, right? It's about the every individual, not just founders, but every company where things are scaling. People need to get comfortable with the idea of giving your Lego blocks for others to build. but you gain new lego blocks only based on that if you try to protect your lego blocks too much nobody gets to build it that's actually very important when it comes to scaling journey and when the peer group continues to get upgraded continuously i think the learnings are a lot right i can look back and then think about a lot of things that i used to do the way i used to do it as really stupid but it's good in sense you are able to look at yourself in hindsight to think that you are that bad and still survive to actually tell the story today then the journey is actually special right in ways that it has gotten better continuously and you got lucky that i got in early 
is a feeling that you always want when you look about look at your team the quality of the team that you work with all the time so i think giving away ego blocks and getting very comfortable with changing opinions not not holding on to them as if they are ips i think it's very very important and just learning from outside i think the the learnability index is one of the most important ones when it comes to whether the individual will scale or not either thinking that my mine is unique all of that i think i don't think holds any water so reading books like hard things about hard things uh, the same book i interpreted and understood it very differently 5 7 years back when the book came out and then 5 years later after that i read it and then i understood it very differently and i think it's the book is highly relevant that i actually want to go back and then listen to it again for current conditions it's a book that's i say worth going back and revisiting in the current market conditions right? it's a very hard journey somebody chose to actually document uh, their journey and share it with everybody so those are all uh, the best ways to learn i think that pretty much summarizes how i think about it it's just a learning journey and it's fun right when you just look at it without any pressure on saying okay here is outcome that i want to buy this time but it's just a journey that's reward in itself you know, that changes you wonderful that that's very interesting also because i want to double click on that last part right revisiting and reflecting on top of what you learn and learnability as a skill i think very often uh, the the disarray uh, or mismatch in terms of execution reflection and synthesis often happens right you either keep executing you either keep absorbing or, or you don't reflect as much or multiple of these uh, scenarios right if you had to give us uh, an inside view of how maybe you manage this With everything that you have to do at scale in running chargebee as well as looking at the larger picture how do you maintain a good balance between execution absorption uh, reflection maybe uh, if you can take us through that and some mental principles that maybe help you go through it uh, i think it'll be super helpful yeah good point see uh, the reflection for me happens when you're either reading or listening but you cannot argue with other party <laughs> and basically when you read a book you cannot argue right you can only disagree in your head but you still have to let it in and that's very important to be able to reflect uh, and that's very meditative for me so that's why listen when i'm driving or walking i just listen to podcast books all of that now i'm losing the ability to sit down and read books uh, that i want to try and bring it back but somehow in a distracted world it's a discipline uh, or a skill almost feels like a skill lost right and i'm trying to bring it back to do that without distraction but it's i think it's okay right it's it's just that being aware of that and then finding new ways to learn is important the second part that you mentioned which is upskilling i don't i forgot the word that you used but uh, i think upskilling execution and absorption like i mean as the idea yeah so i'll give an example of how i've tried to learn maybe that there's some lesson in there right we cannot get all the lessons from the same set of people again and again right so girish and afreshworks or suresh or kishore and all of that gave away so much of whatever they knew at that time they were teaching a lot of us whatever they knew but it would be very unfair to again and again expect them to be teaching everything to everybody or to us through every stage of the journey and that is why like people taking initiatives to teach whatever they know to others is super important and then you also find the new people from which from whom you can learn as well as an example when it comes to let's say hiring people right i did not know when 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 i have never worked as an executive right i've been a developer for 10 years uh, or wore different hat i was wearing different hats in different companies but never was an executive leader in any particular company so i this is the first time i'm experiencing when the company is scaling is when you even have to take keep your founder hat separately and then say okay now i have to wear the executive hat to be very deliberate to play the to grow into the role as a professional right and not just use a founder card all the time 
<laughs> so which means that now how do you learn to effectively play that role effectively the only way is to we learn faster by observe uh, or i've never hired let's say a cfo or a cro so when two and a half years back when we had to hire our first cro the first thing i did was a good idea that shikhar kirani from axel uh, one of the board members he gave us was he said why don't you go talk to make a list of 10 cros of successful companies who will not be available for you to hire but you make a list of 10 people and then tell me who are all the people that you want to intro to and let me see if i can get some intros or you reach out to me then what we did was we actually started reaching out to these people asking for 30 minutes time from many of these at scale cros and then i drafted a bunch of questions that i wanted to ask them including things like hey how as a founder ceo how am i supposed to enable you what are some mistakes that i should avoid what are things that your current company does extremely well right what do you wish they did better right and what advice do you have for me to manage the transition in the company where these are amazingly good people who are in the current roles but i'm going to hire a new leader into the organization how do i set you up for success how do i set them up for how should i set expectations right just basic questions it's a anyways you should go through it right and instead of just going and doing it on the fly without actually thinking through it by making this as an exercise and spending those 5 to 10 hours in preparation now i know what before even going into the interview process first talking to the first even potential candidate i've spoken with five or 10 good people that i know what a really great cro looks like or like how they talk right and the great sales person will sell themselves really well so which means that you have to be able to apply some of those filters to actually see through that beyond that to actually assess them and then hire the right person and basics were super helpful deliberate learnings right and then i repeated the same process for a cmo they repeated the same process while hiring the cfo because i've never worked with a cfo i don't know what a cfo good cfo looks like at least the engineer developers i have a sense of what to look for but cfo how do i actually assess i've no idea i did not know that there is these different specializations like spna and then the accounting track and then there is the general project track with multiple tracks and then there are cfos who come from completely different banking background like jp morgan and others who are taking companies ipo who also become cfos i did not even know that there are people who are cfos from sales background who before ipo converted into a cfo role and i did not know that cfo doesn't have to be a chartered accountant a true story right but the point is you can learn on the job if you are deliberate about learning some of these things and then put in a little bit of additional effort into actually figuring these out as been my biggest takeaway right and i think there's a lot of hope for everybody else out there this should be your biggest takeaway right if i somebody this stupid is actually able to figure this by actually going through a particular way in a journey where you can be deliberate about learning things and then like go deeper methodical and solve problems i think anybody can Absolutely, I think uh, you're giving yourself less credit than that. What I think is the underlying factor there is a common trail of thought around maybe just going the extra mile. Uh, I mean, when you want it enough, you do that, and I think I'm observing that. I could be wrong here, but that takeaway I think really stands out. But this has been fantastic, Krish. I think I have personally taken back so much from this conversation. Uh, I don't know what would be a fitting end, uh, but the way I like to end some of these conversations is is maybe on an abstract note. Uh, and I'd love if you can maybe go back to the core motivations of starting a company, right? And this is on the qualitative side. I mean, you spoke about finding that wedge and you know being problem first. We've spoken here about it from the entrepreneurial lens, uh, but going back to the core motivations uh, as a human and uh, on the qualitative side, if you have to talk to us about 
why you started and what the road further entails like when you go back to work every single morning what does it mean not going of course too philosophical in nature but if you can leave us with the thought of you know the core motivations that stand out as a person turned into a founder i, I think uh, that uh, would be really helpful for uh, the broad audience so yeah that's for the final one beautiful see uh, i think we all want almost the same things right fellows Yeah, anybody will be lying if they say that money is not a motivator. Financial independence is one of the powerful motivators that should definitely be somewhere in the stack rank, if not your number one, should be at least in your top five when it comes to that, right? But there are many ways to achieve financial independence and the definition of that could be very different, right? For us, the first stage of financial independence was to have enough that allows us to take a risk because we always got hooked to this idea of wanting to build a company based on what we read right and inspirations and all of that the second part is we just want things to be interesting when i say interesting is you look forward to a monday is very very important for me well like why do it otherwise so we just want things to be very interesting and that interesting happens only when you are able to solve problems and not people if you are second guessing and thinking about people what is that person thinking what is this person thinking and what should i say did i say something that screwed up and made somebody like worry about it should i be worried about my career then you are in the wrong environment or just reporting to the wrong people right so basically we just want to be able to solve problems and not solve people i think that's this and that is what keeps things interesting when you solve problems life is interesting i think those are things that we all want right regardless of your roles that's all we want for us the idea to say wanting to start up was just driven by like how do you create an environment where you can do that like joel spolsky had this beautiful line in one of his blogs where he used to talk about founder's job is to get chairs out of the way so smart people can come in and solve problems and if you had been a developer you will actually understand how frustrating it is uh, to if you don't get to solve problems but you are just continuously distracted to just like interface with people and doing surface level work but you are really not like moving the needle it is frustration and you want to learn how to actually engage and like have an environment where you can comfortably at least say hey there there are always spaces when there is a lot of grunt work right don't mistake me that not there is no job in the world where it's like 80% 100% age like only fancy work no every work has 80% grunt work and 20% interesting stuff there is joy in actually understanding and accepting it and being able to enjoyably go through the grunt work knowing that that you get to the 20% and i think it's just part of the work ethic and it's just part of understanding this it's almost self discovery and when that happens work doesn't feel like grunt work right it's becomes fun and it's up to every individual to figure this out so for us the idea was to say how do you like build a good company good place and now for me the biggest challenge is how do you ensure this kind of philosophy you now at scale applies across the company how do you create an environment where we are able to build feedback loops everywhere like every individual should be able to give feedback to a manager when i am the only manager or when there are few, there is no managerial structure in the company up to 100 people it's very easy when you actually introduce a managerial structure how do you ensure the manager what it takes to be a good manager is taught to everybody and how do you also enable the individuals to be able to disagree well with their manager right the manager's job is enablement not people management so teaching some of this and creating an environment becomes at scale becomes a problem in itself now for me organization apart from solving the product and defining the product category and problem category right and solving for that 
building a good organization is also a very complex and interesting problem and now that is what we are actually solving for compared to early days when you are just obsessed with solving the problem getting the, to that next milestones for survival and traction those were different problems and the problem relevance changes phase by phase and you don't want to actually start with like this is why for me the idea of actually trying to write the code and all of that like the, the cultural values and all of that felt very distant for me because it was all about getting to the next milestone it had nothing to do with those for me <laughs> like maybe uh, second time founders do it differently but this is my first company and this is the only way we have done this so i can only speak from that experience so i think we all want the same things just focus on what you, what drives you today right and just get to that next milestone i think just being kind to yourself and just being nice is i think good that's all that's all that matters Beautiful. I think that's super nice to hear. A lot of food for thought there in bits and pieces, and a great thought to end the conversation. Thank you so much, Krish, for your time. I think I have supremely loved the conversation and a lot of ingrained learnings there. And I think this was really helpful for everyone listening in as well. A very quick shout out to Avinash for making this introduction and for Pooja from the ChargeB team for making this happen. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did, Krish. Thank you. This is great conversation. Thank Thanks so much for all the questions. Uh, sure. Like very thoughtful. Thanks, Jibranj. Thank you. Awesome. With that, we come to the end of this conversation. Thank you so much for tuning in to the episode. I really hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you're finding value with the podcast, do follow it on the audio streaming platform of your choice. Drop in a review and subscribe to our WhatsApp newsletter. to get all the updates directly on your inbox thanks again i will see you next week for another episode till then i hope you record if you never try you'll never know stay tuned and keep building